Good morning. My name is Kelly Scott. I'm interim pastor for discipleship here at Trinity, and I'm a local mission partner of Trinity as director of a ministry called Athletes in Action at the University of Virginia. I want to add my welcome to any UVA students who are new or anyone who's new to town or just new to Trinity. I would love to meet you after the service uh, on the way over to the ministry fair to your left. Throughout the month of August, we've been focusing on the different ministry areas in the life of our church. We've talked about worship. We've talked about community. We've talked about spiritual formation, growing in the image of God. And and today, we are focusing on the mission and mercy of the church, as you may have guessed. What do we mean by mission and mercy? Well, Jesus gave the church its mission after his resurrection when he said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. The heart behind this is that Jesus desires disciples, learners, followers from every nation because he loves us and he wants us to know his forgiveness and cleansing and life in him and to live our lives to the glory of God. Mercy is often a part of this mission, and it focuses on more tangible needs, things like job training and job connections, tutoring, providing food and shelter. And I just want to say from the outset here, I I realize, I'm I'm fully aware that the word mission in relation to the church uh, will excite some of you, it will make some of you curious, what's this guy going to say about mission? Uh, Or it may make you remember that you had an appointment this morning that you need to be at right about now. Uh, Particularly if you are new to the church, or if you're just considering the Christian faith, I realize that that mission can be a a scary thing. Sometimes I get scared when people start talking about mission simply because throughout history, it has often been done poorly so many times. It can be self-promoting, it can be self-congratulating, artificial, insensitive, and even with the best of intentions, we can be oblivious to the ways that we are impacting others. I confess that I have been guilty so many times of self-centered motives in the work of mission. It's annoying. It's sobering to know that, that we can even make what is supposedly the work of God about ourselves. We see it in Jesus' disciples when they argue about who's the greatest disciple and when they start taking pride in their successes rather than in Jesus. The Bible is remarkably honest about this struggle And yet, in spite of our brokenness, Jesus still called his first disciples and he still calls us into his good work of sharing his life with the world. By his grace, his mission can be carried out with humility and with love. If there's one book in the Bible that highlights the mission of the church, it's the book of Acts, also called the Acts of the Apostles. Even this name given by the early church fathers, points us to a church on the move, right? A church in action or on mission. And I believe our passage this morning is particularly helpful for our church at this time as we consider mercy and mission. Because at this point, uh, because at this point in the book of Acts, the, the church in Jerusalem is at a turning point. It's no longer the 120 people we see huddled together in the first chapter of Acts. The church has grown significantly. And the needs of the church appear to be stretching the resources of the church. 
At the same time, they have recently faced internal loss as well as external opposition. And as the very first New Testament church plant, they are faced with the question, how do we continue to be a church of mission and of mercy as we grow? I would say that likewise, after significant transition and internal loss and a pandemic, in some ways our, our church feels like a church plant right now. I mean, it's, it's kind, of a, kind of a big church plant. It's like one of those 15 or 25-gallon plants, not one of the three-gallon plants. But, but nevertheless, it kind of feels like a church plant. And we're asking the question, how do we continue to be a church of mission and mercy as we grow out of this time of transition? So please turn in your Bibles or in the order of worship to Acts chapter 6 for the reading of God's Word. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve disciples summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus' disciples are encountering not only some cultural favoritism, but also a human resource problem. They have been called to give their primary attention to preaching God's word and to praying for people. But tangible needs in the church are starting to go unmet. Specifically, some of the more culturally Jewish or, or culturally Greek Jewish widows are being overlooked in favor of the more traditional Hebraic Jewish widows. Now, the problem may feel a bit understated in, in verse 1. I realize that. Uh, couldn't they have just asked James or John to run down and fill the food pantry shelves? But with the church growing, the disciples understand that, that this is not a one-off logistical hiccup in the life of their church. In order to adequately care for people's needs, the church will need ongoing wisdom, compassion, impartiality, relationships, time, and energy if they are going to continue to embody the love of Jesus without forsaking Jesus' call to speak about him. The passage leads us to, to think deeply about this dual calling of word and deed and how it gets worked out in the life of the church. And we're going to look at four themes in this passage, doing mercy, speaking the gospel, dividing the labor, and yielding to the Spirit. Before we zoom in uh, on, on the passage, I, I kind of want to take a 30,000-foot view of this dual calling of doing mercy and speaking the gospel. Over the past 15 years, uh, I've had the privilege of coaching hundreds of 
kids in Charlottesville, including many uh, kids from this church. We're talking everything from herding cats, also known as coaching five-year-olds, to coaching fairly serious high school athletes. Sadly, it, it took me a little while, probably too long, to figure out that those are two very different things. You know, it turns out that eight-year-olds don't really appreciate 10-minute strategy sessions as much as you might think they would. And they need much more in the way of demonstrating and doing with maybe 20-second explanations. With older kids, of course, the dynamics begin to shift, and, and there's more speaking and explaining, but demonstrating is still invaluable. Imagine, though, tutoring or teaching a class or a music lesson or coaching where only speaking was allowed. The teacher can tell the, the student where to put their fingers on the guitar neck, but they can't show them. The coach can tell the players how their hands should grasp and release the ball, but they can't really show them what it looks like. Or the other way around. The tutor can do the math problem, but they can't explain why they did what they did or how it worked. The coach can run to a certain part of the field or court, but they can't tell anyone why that might help the team, why being in that position might help the team. Might accomplish something, but it's severely limiting. And it's because as human beings, we are both doers and speakers. We tutor and teach and coach in love by both speaking and acting because we are made in the image of a God who speaks and acts. In Genesis 1, we see that God acts. God is a doer. He creates. He gives order to chaos. He brings fullness and beauty from emptiness, and he offers creation to humanity as a gift. God acts, but he doesn't just create and leave us to figure it out. God also speaks. He speaks truth and blessing over us. Let us make man in our image after our likeness so that we would know not just what God does, but that we would also know our purpose and place in creation. As God's image bears, our mission, also given in the very first chapter of the Bible, reflects God's speaking and God's acting. We are called to be doers like God. We are called to reflect God's love and generosity and creativity in our work as we rule over the world. We are called to be doers. And as the image of God, we are also called to multiply so that the glory of the image and likeness of God fills the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. And please hear this. Even in a perfect world, the multiplication of the image of God involves much more than simply reproduction of the species. It involves speaking God's words to the next generation so that they know their purpose and place in his creation. In 2016, I, I watched a movie that I normally would not have watched because it's a science fiction movie, and I'm not a huge science fiction guy, uh, unless you count C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy, in which case I am. But the movie, the movie Arrival was up for a slew of awards, so I gave it a go. And in the movie, Amy Adams is, is a linguist trying to decipher the langu language of these uber-intelligent alien heptapods, uh, which take on somewhat of a, a divine role in the film. And as I'm sure we all know, heptapods are seven-legged creatures that look like an octopus with starfish-like feet and elephant skin. 
I'm really glad that really glad that no one described them to me beforehand, or I surely would have laughed it off and skipped the film. So don't let that stop you. But the film touches on all kinds of deep questions. Suffering, the nature of time and timelessness, divine foreknowledge and free will. And yet in the midst of all these mammoth themes, the driving force of the film is the human longing to speak and to be spoken to. At one point early in the film, the the linguist is asked why she's spending so much time developing an extremely basic alien vocabulary. And she explains that she needs to build this vocabulary to get to their answer to the question, what is your purpose on earth? Simply observing their actions cannot answer her question. In order for us to answer that question for ourselves, God speaks to us. God speaks to us through his word and calls us to speak his words to one another. To be the image of God in the world is to be on mission, to speak his words of life to one another, that we would be formed in the image of God. It was a major light bulb moment for me when a professor pointed out that Jesus' call to go and make disciples of all nations was really a reformulation of Genesis 1. For us, to, for us to invite others to be fellow disciples of Jesus as he remakes us in his image is to multiply the image of God. You do not need to be a parent to participate in the multiplication of the image of God. And what this means is that mission is not an add-on to, uh, in the New Testament. It's not, a, uh, it's, it's not an add-on and, and some, merely the result of being in a fallen world, but it's actually essential to who we are as humans. Our individual callings will look different. UVA students, you will go on to do a thousand different things, and that's wonderful. But within those little callings, individual callings, each one of us is called to multiply God's image and to rule in God's likeness, to speak his words and to do what he does to rule with creativity and love and generosity. In Acts chapter 6, we see the church working out this dual calling as a body in very practical ways. We've been up at 30,000 feet. Acts 6 brings us back to the ground, and it guides us in how we respond to this calling to do and to speak. First, the vital work of doing mercy. It's difficult to imagine the 12 disciples taking the work of more seriously, or taking the work of mercy more seriously than they do here. Again, they don't come up with a quick fix for the issue at hand. Instead, look what they do in verse 3. They say, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. They put together a team to care for the needs, not just short-term, but long-term And it's not just any team. The men must have good reputation. The the work of the Spirit in their lives must be clear. They must have wisdom. And these seven men actually become the prototypes for deacons in the church, men who would lead the church in showing mercy. By God's grace, Trinity, as we've heard some already this morning, you have been a church that in many ways has excelled in extending mercy to those in need. I should say that one of our former pastors uh, here, Joe Magri, who is planning a church, a sister church here in Charlottesville, helped us out quite a bit in this area. 
But you have been generous, beginning with needs in our church body and overflowing into the life of the community. We have had hundreds of opportunities in just the last few years to provide crisis care in desperate situations. And just as the disciples or apostles took a long-term view, our desire is not simply to provide crisis care, but to come alongside fellow broken image bearers in our community to help restore them and us to wholeness, to good work, and to fruitfulness. Particularly pre-pandemic, many of you were blessed to participate and build relationships in longer-term programs such as Jobs for Life and ESL and, and, and other ministries. And Trinity, you should know that even now, you have extremely thoughtful, dedicated members serving in the work of mercy, doing, uh, or led by our deacons. Others are deeply involved in local missions such as Abundant Life. And I know that a number of you spend your lives doing mercy and extending hospitality apart from any formal ministry. I keep hearing about you. But as we work through uh, this period of, of transition, I know from talking to some of those people, the harvest is plentiful. And relatively speaking, the laborers are few. Perhaps the Lord would call a few of us, particularly those with gifts uh, of relating cross-culturally, or even if you're not particularly gifted, but you are persistent in love, perhaps the Lord would call a few of us to join Trinity uh, leaders in this good work of mercy. At the same time, uh, the 12 disciples recognized the priority of speaking the gospel, speaking God's word. In verse 2, they say, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. In verse 4, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The apostles understand that, that doing mercy alone is not sufficient to fulfill the mission of making disciples, of multiplying the image of God. I want to read a quote to you from Andy Crouch. He puts it this way, um, and uh, I want you to know he also uses the word justice somewhat interchangeably with what we've been calling mercy. The work of justice is to restore the conditions that make image-bearing possible. Without justice, without the kind of restoration that reopens the way to dignified, delighted image-bearing, it is much less likely that the good news about the true image-bearer will be believed even if it is proclaimed. But he goes on to say, the result of both real evangelism, speaking the gospel, and real doing of justice is the restoration of the image of the only true God in the world. The image cannot be restored without naming the name and telling the story of the one true creator God. So all serious efforts for justice must be connected to evangelism, to speaking the gospel. Along with the apostles, we are a church that believes that the Word of God transforms lives. That the Word of God accurately interprets reality, tells us who we are, reveals the character of God, reveals our brokenness and sin and need for a Savior, and tells us of the one true Savior who canceled out our guilt on the cross and, and rose to remake us in His image. Friends, we, we must name the name of Jesus and tell the story because without it, we could see all the glory of the world and all the goodness of mercy and only see mountains and men and not see the true source of glory and mercy. The telling of the story happens in a couple of ways. It happens through the, the preaching and teaching of the word as well as through conversation. The apostles knew that, that 
Jesus had set them apart specifically for the ministry of the word, and they become the prototype for elders in the church. As later in the book of Acts, we see that the apostles set apart elders to teach and to shepherd in every city where they plant a church. They preach and teach God's word inside the church and outside of the church, and throughout the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament, we see that the faithful preaching and teaching of the word is to be carefully guarded for both the strengthening of believers and the spreading of the gospel. But we also see that that all believers are called to speak the good news in conversation. Paul says in Colossians 4, in the context of spreading the gospel, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. In Philippians 1, he talks about how his experience in prison encouraged most of the brothers in the Lord to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. And Peter says, always be prepared to answer anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. If you want some help with this, I highly recommend Jerem Barr's book, The Heart of Evangelism. God is always working. And many people around us are much more willing to have spiritual conversations, to have gospel conversations than we are. I'm sure that many of us in this room can point to a friend who loved us enough to listen to our questions, to listen to our stories, and to tell us the true story of Jesus. Dividing the labor. Uh, Perhaps the most central or or obvious uh, theme in this passage is the division of labor, right? The apostles recognize that that they need some help. They're going to need to have some more people uh, doing the work of ministry with them. It's the recognition that, that we are limited, finite people. We are not called to burn ourselves out trying to do everything. And this is so important in, in high-achieving communities. Places like Chapel Hill or Durham. You know the kind of places I'm talking about, right? <laughs> High achievers need to recognize that the entire body of Christ and all the various gifts within the body of Christ are needed. Some people will be called to major in doing mercy. Others will be called to major in speaking the word of God. And even within these callings, we've seen that there are a multitude of expressions. We need to have the humility to invite others in and share the work. But one other sub-point on this. We do see in this passage that it, that it is a soft division of labor. It's, it's, not a, it's not a hard line. Like you either do mercy or you speak. We see Stephen, one of the men who's called to serve tables, speaking the gospel at the end of our passage. And he goes on in the next chapter to preach the longest sermon recorded in the New Testament by anyone other than Jesus. And we find Philip, another deacon as well, in a couple chapters later in Acts 8. He's speaking the gospel in conversation and publicly. We also find the apostles who were dedicated to teaching. We find them caring for physical needs. And we even see the apostle Paul uh, seems to do a lot of work uh, in making sure that impoverished Jewish Christians in Jerusalem received financial assistance. And so it's a soft division. It appears that if we are called to major in doing mercy, that we're called to minor in speaking the gospel. And if we're called to major in speaking the gospel, we're called to minor in doing mercy, still recognizing our limits. Well, what was the result? What was the result of this division of labor in the use of the various gifts? We see it in verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, 
and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Finally, it was not simply a division of labor that caused the word of God to increase. A more subtle theme that that we see throughout the passage is that of yielding to the Spirit. Yielding to the Spirit. In verse 3, these proto-deacons must be full of the Spirit, indicative of hearts that are humbly reliant on the Spirit of God. In verse 4, the apostles are called not only to devote themselves to the ministry of the Word, but equally to prayer. Prayer is the primary means of yielding to the Spirit. In verse 5, we're told that Stephen is full of faith in God and of the Holy Spirit. In verse 6, the apostles set the deacons apart and pray for them. In verse 8, Stephen is full of grace and power, and it's clear that this grace and power come from the Spirit of God. In verse 10, Stephen's opponents could not withstand the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, by whom he was speaking. A passage that at first glance appears to be predominantly logistical or administrative turns out to have a whole lot of yielding to the Spirit. What do you do when you are driving and you see a yield sign? Some of you speed up to beat the car, right, that's coming down the other lane. Assuming you're a safe driver, uh, probably unlike me, you, you let the other car go first. To yield to the Spirit of God and mission is to recognize that, that God always has to go first. That God has to go before us in our speaking and doing in order for us to bear any lasting fruit. In this way, all of our speaking and doing ought to be a continual reminder to us of the gospel that we proclaim. The gospel we proclaim is that God had to move first toward us. That our hearts were actually dead through sin to God. And that we were without hope apart from his mercy. But the gospel, the good news is that God did move toward us. While we were still powerless, Christ died for us, the ungodly. Every time we truly yield to the Spirit in our hearts, in the work of doing mercy and speaking the gospel, we are preaching the gospel to ourselves, that God is the first mover. We are remembering that God moved first in love, not us, that we love because he first loved us, that God is able to save us, not us, and that what is true for us is true for others, that the people around us do not ultimately need us to move into their hearts and lives, but they need God to move into their hearts and lives, just as we do. And in his providence, he, hum- he responds to our humble prayers, yielding to him. And what was the result of yielding to the Spirit in Jerusalem? And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. May it be so with us. Let's pray toward that end. Heavenly Father, you are the giver of life. You are the one who redeems our lives. You are the one who restores our lives in Christ. We ask that you would make us a church that is humble, that shares the work and recognizes the diversity of gifts within your body, and that is empowered by your Spirit. Would you make us a church empowered by your Spirit? Make us prayers. Make us humble seekers of you as we do mercy and as we speak the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.